Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is a new church located in the city of Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement and as a blessing and inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. And I, I want to share a story with you guys, something that happened um, when I was growing up. My, the church that I went to, we, we, we started a, a baseball team, amen? And quite honestly, the baseball team I wasn't, there's no one here from the baseball team, so we weren't very good, Okay. We weren't very good, but we were very, very excited because it was a bunch of kids. Uh, I was about 14 or 15. Uh, all my cousins were in it, and we were all around the same age. And um, we did have a couple of older uh, brothers that were there. Um, we had, a, we had a, what we thought was a phenom high school pitcher uh, that was on our team. And um, we also had several adults that were on the team. And we thought we were going to be good. Amen. And we, we started practicing, we started getting ready to, to play our first game because we were excited that our uncle, my uncle had finally found us a team to play against and to test the, the, the skill and the athletic ability that we have. You know, I don't have to tell you I'm an athlete, you guys can tell by looking at me. And, um, you know, so we were very excited. We were very excited. We were finally going to show our, our skills and um, I remember that when we first met this other church that we were going to play, um, we, were, we weren't too impressed by first looks, you know. And come to find out that we were pretty evenly matched. Uh, we, we, we played the game, and I don't remember who won or who lost, to be honest with you, but I remember that it was a close game. Then we decided, you know what, we don't really have any other teams to play. You guys want to play again next week. So, all right, we played again next week. And again, it was very evenly matched. Uh, I can't remember who won or who lost, but it was very evenly matched. And we decided, you know what, let's do it a third time. I, I don't know, maybe we were tied one-on-one, and we said, all right, this is kind of like a mini playoff series, and, and I, we're not going to, this is for the world championship in Pleasant Grove, amen? And we were going to win, right? And it must have been tied, I guess, because we decided to play a third game. And I remember when we showed up for the third game that when they showed up, there was a, 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 a young guy that showed up with them also. We hadn't seen him in any of the other games. And um, as we're getting ready, we're excited, we're pumped, and we're just ready to get going. I remember we see this young guy that we never seen before start walking up to the pitcher's mound. And we're like, hey, there's a new pitcher. Let's, let's keep an eye on him. Let's see. let's see how he throws, right? He must have been about 21, 22 years old. And I remember as we see the first pitch that leaves his hands, we kind of turn around to each other and we're like, I heard the ball, but did you see the ball? <laughs> it's like, where did this guy come from? We can't even see the ball when he's throwing it. So we're getting a little nervous. We're getting a little worried. And as he's warming up, we can see that he throws really hard. Keep in mind, we're 14, 15. Most of the guys that are playing, we're really young. We're still trying to figure out how to play baseball. We're, some of us 
Uh, some of them were still kind of scared of the ball when it would be hit at them. And so we're worried. So sure enough, we go up to start batting. And not even the phenom high school pitchers, players that we had on our team could hit this young man's fastball. And as we're going through and we're progressing through the first inning, the second inning, the third inning, the umpire comes over to, to us. And he tells us, hey, guys, um, I just want you guys to know that this guy, he's a semi-pro. He plays for the Mexican baseball leagues here in Dallas. He gets paid to play. I don't know why they brought him, but I, it's a little dangerous. You guys can't even really see the ball when he's throwing it. I'm kind of worried that one of these kids are going to get hit. And my uncle looks at him for a moment and looks him in the eye and says, we're not scared. Well, we kind of were, but <laughs> I guess he wasn't scared. We're going to do it. Well, to make a long story short, we lost that game. The only person that got a contact with the ball during that game was my cousin. And he was maybe a year older than me. And it was a foul ball. That's all we managed off this guy, a foul ball. But when we hit that foul ball, we all jumped up. We were so excited. We finally made contact. Needless to say, this guy was a game changer for that team. Before the previous outcomes, as I remember, they were pretty close. We were evenly matched. But when they brought this guy in, it was a whole different ballgame. It was different. We just couldn't stand up to it. We, we couldn't do anything against this guy. And in the same way, God calls you and God calls me to be game changers in our world. Okay? And the best way I can explain this to you is that God calls us to mix in, but not to blend in. He calls us to mix in, but not to blend in. Well, what does this mean? Well, I don't know uh, about you guys, but I, I, like, I like certain, certain treats, okay? And um, one of the things that my, my daughter really enjoys that I do, apparently I'm the only one that can do this because if somebody else at the house offers to do it, she's like, no, daddy's going to do it, is that we like making pancakes with chocolate chips in them, okay? Uh, which they're delicious, and I won't lie, I make a pretty good pancake with chocolate chips in it, okay? But I take... The, the, the batter or the mix uh, of the pancakes, and it's got flour uh, or whatever it is from the box. I don't make it from scratch, all right? From the box, whatever's mixed in there. I know there's probably some flour. There's probably a little bit of sugar. There's some starch. I don't know what's in there. But there's stuff in there. There's about three or four or five, six different ingredients. On top of that, I put a couple of eggs in the mix. And then on top of that, either some milk or some water. And then I'm mixing it. And then as I'm mixing it, I pour some chocolate chips in there. And you're mixing it, you're mixing it. But have you ever, if you've ever done this, those of you guys that cook, whether it's making chocolate chip cookies or, or chocolate chip pancakes, what you notice is that everything blends in. But the chocolate chips keep their shape and keep their form. And as you bite into a chocolate chip cookie or you bite into a pancake with chocolate chips in it, when you bite into it, you really can't tell. You can't say, oh, yeah, I taste the egg. 
oh yeah, I, I can taste this certain. But when you're eating it and you're biting into it, the one thing you can tell is when you bite into a because it doesn't change. It mixes in, but it doesn't blend. It's distinct. There's a difference. There's a texture. There's a taste. Something happens to, to your mouth when you, when you feel you bite into that chocolate chip and there's an explosion of happiness within your mouth and there's something different and you know, you know that there's something that's really good there. And see, as, a, as Christians, as believers, as people that want to be close to God, as people who love God, as people who, who want to give their lives to God, we need to learn how to mix into the world but not blend into it. We need to learn how to keep our form, how to remain completely distinct, that when people run into us, they can tell, hey, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this lady. There's just something good. I, I want to hang out with him. I, I want to talk more with him. I want to I spend some time. I want to know what, what it is about them that makes them tick. We have to learn how to be distinct, how to be separate. Even when, because if you notice, when you put the chocolate chip cookie dough and the chocolate chips are in the dough and you put it in the oven at 350 degrees Fahrenheit or 400, whatever your recipe calls for, or when I take that pancake batter, even though it's got chocolate chips in it and I put it directly on the heat, the chocolate chip doesn't melt. And see, church, in our world, the heat gets turned up. You can't go too far today in society without realizing that they are, uh, that society wants us to change. Society wants us to blend in. Society wants us to adopt the mindsets that go against God's word. And we're going to be talking more about that. But Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God does not, Jesus did not call us to blend in to the world. Yeah, we're going to live in, you know, he, he preached for his, he, he prayed for his disciples. He didn't pray that God would take them out of the world. He said, God, he said, Father, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but I pray that you would protect them against the evil one who is out. Trying to destroy them. God's prayer is for us not to be removed. And sometimes I wonder if it is correct for us to pray that God come back soon because God wants us to affect this world. God wants us to leave this world better, in a better shape than when we found it when we leave. And there are multiple examples in the Bible of people who are seemingly ordinary, don't seem to have uh, anything extraordinary within them, but they have certain 
characteristics in them that made them stand out. They were game changers in their time. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at several of these uh, these people in the Bible, and we're going to be learning from them. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been excited. I've been thinking about this, and I was telling my wife a couple days ago that I, I, I feel like I'm about to just start preaching in the middle of the street, although I probably wouldn't do it, but because I was so excited about this sermon. Hopefully, I won't be the only one excited, all right? You guys help me preach. It's okay to make a little bit of noise as we preach. And today we're going to be looking at the story of a young name, and I didn't pick him because his name is awesome, but it is awesome, a young man by the name of Daniel, okay? The Bible informs us that Daniel was a young man without physical defect, handsome, and a quick learner. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, you can tap to your to Daniel chapter 6 on your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, then we're going to have it up here on the screen also. But I think there's still something to be said about holding your Bible open and looking at the the verse, okay? Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. If you have it, say amen. Verse 1 says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, to rule throughout the kingdom. Satraps were governors. It's just a different word for governors. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Today we are going to be speaking from the subject of firm integrity. Integrity. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes there where you're at. Let's come before the Lord. Father, I come before you at this moment. I thank you. I give you honor. I give you glory. I thank you for your word. Lord, we can learn so much from you. We can learn so much from your word. And today, as we dig into this passage and as we dig into the life of Daniel, I just ask you, Lord, that we can find uh, what relates to us, that we can find those areas in our heart, in our lives that need that attention, Lord. And I just ask you today that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to understand your calling in our lives, to understand what you are asking us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can you give God a hand praise this morning, this afternoon? Firm integrity, firm integrity. Life is a constant test, amen? You, you finish one test and you move on to the next test. It's like a series of decisions, a series of crossroads, a a series of of forks in the road. Should I go left or should I go right? Should I buy this? Should I not buy this? Should I uh, talk to that person or should I not talk to the person? There is a series of challenges that makes life for us. And when when God calls us to be a light into this world, to be salt, the one thing that he asks us to do is to keep shining brightly, no matter what you and I do. That when we shine brightly, 
It means that we are maintaining our integrity. We are maintaining who we are. And just so we're on the same page, what does integrity mean? Integrity means the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. That sometimes can be easier said than done. There are times we're presented with opportunities and options to bend a little bit in order to gain from it. We're presented with opportunities to, to bend a certain way that we know we shouldn't bend in order to gain acceptance from others. In culture, we may be tempted to blend in. Hot button issues, whether it's, whether it's the racial tensions that we're experiencing in America, whether it's the uh, gender identification issues that we hear in the news over and over, whether it's the TV programs that we allow our children to watch. Parents, you guys got to be very careful with what you allow your kids to watch. Keep a close eye on it. And, and we have to understand that when God is asking us to be a light to this world, he is asking us to stand firm in our integrity. And all these options and all these opportunities that you and I have to bend to the left or to the right, we, it leads us to ask a couple of questions. We have to ask ourselves, have I ever compromised my integrity to gain acceptance? Or have I ever compromised my integrity for personal gain? When we answer these questions and we truly look back and we reflect on it, some of us may be feeling and some of us may feel a little bit of, uh, of anxiousness as we look at this because, the, let me just warn you from the beginning that this is, this is going to be a challenging message. Okay, you may not be shouting, but I, I would encourage you to shout because when we're challenged, we're challenged to grow. So, we, we tend to look at these type of questions and uh, we, we may not like them. Have I ever compromised my integrity to gain acceptance? The second question is, have I ever compromised my integrity for personal gain? And the problem is that when we answer yes to these questions, no matter how small the event may have been, no matter how, uh, how tiny the affair was that you might not feel that it was anything major or anything big, uh, uh, the problem is that a lack of integrity will lead to the loss of credibility. I cannot stand here and preach to you today if you know that there are issues in my life. If I am preaching to you about marriage, but my marriage is in shambles, and you know that I am almost getting divorced with my wife, how are you going to believe or how are you going to accept anything that I would say, even if what I'm saying is right? A pastor preaches about marriage, but his wife can't stand him. A lack of integrity will cause us to lose our credibility. And then the other problem with this is that when we don't have integrity, as the famous uh, quote says, that when you don't stand for anything, for something, you will fall for anything. Integrity allows us to stand firmly in our lives. 
And for us to truly live game-changing lives, to truly live lives that will impact this world, we need to have firm integrity. So there's a couple of things that I just want to leave you with today, okay? Um, The first thing is that my integrity is built upon my convictions. My integrity... My set of moral values, my honesty, who I am, my beliefs is going to be based upon the convictions that I feel in my life. And my convictions will come from my identity, who I am, what I believe, who do I put my faith in. And in Daniel chapter 6, when we're reading that these administrators and these other governors that were there around Daniel, that Daniel was working with, it was, I I don't understand, I, I, I really don't, I can't imagine how their business meetings were when there was tension, when everybody knew that Darius really favored Daniel and nobody wanted Daniel to have that position over, over the kingdom, and they're looking for ways to bring Daniel down. I can imagine the tension that you can find in that board meeting. And in verse 6, these administrators, in trying to find a way to accuse Daniel, in trying to find a way into, to find corruption in Daniel, they, they come and they find and they say, that in verse 5 actually, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And it says in verse 6, So these administrators of satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfect prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repeated. So King Darius put the decree in writing. I think it's interesting. We all know that, right? Don't we know this? When our, if you guys that are parents or when you were kids, dad, you're a good dad. What do you want? Mom, you're looking good today. What do you need? And then, I need $20 for this. Or It happens. You guys remember when you would do it? Right, Sister Liz? <laughs> they do it. And these guys, these men, these administrators, they appealed to Darius's ego and said, oh, great king, You should put it in writing. You should make a law that there should be no other God that should be prayed to except for you, almighty king. And hurry up. Put it in writing so that it cannot be broken. So that people will pray to you. And isn't it interesting how when the enemy comes to attack you and I, the first thing, the first place they want to attack us is, the enemy wants to attack us is through our beliefs. It's through our Values, Because they said, well, we're not going to find anything wrong in Daniel's life. The only way we're going to be able to find some sort of corruption is if we do it against 
his God. And the administrators, the satraps, devised a plan in which to trap Daniel. Verse 10 says that, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So I said that the first thing we got to understand is that our integrity is built upon our convictions. Daniel knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he served. He knew who his God was. He knew who gave him blessings. He knew where to find favor. He knew where to go to pray. And it says that as soon as his decree was published, that whoever was to pray to any other God besides Darius, they would be Thrown into a lion's den. What did Daniel do? And and let's be honest. Let's be honest. Maybe if you and I were in Daniel's shoes, maybe we would have gone back home and prayed just like Daniel prayed. But maybe we would have chosen to keep the windows closed. Well, they can't see. I'm going to continue praying. I'm going to continue Serving my God, but no one has to know. See, but Daniel, his integrity was so high that the Bible says he went to his room. He got on his knees. Sometimes we're so hurried nowadays that we don't even pray on our knees. He says that he took the time and got on his knees just as he's always done before and opened the windows just as he's always done. There was no identity crisis in Daniel. Since day one when he arrived to Babylon, he remained true to who he was. So I know that some of you may not know exactly who Daniel is. I'm just going to give you a quick, quick context, okay? Daniel was a part of a group of people that was taken into captivity after the fall of Jerusalem, after the fall of the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And they were captured by Babylon. And Daniel was a group of, the, of young men uh, from the royal household. And they went and they looked for the best young men, the best looking young men, those young men that maybe possibly could be a service to this new kingdom that they were going to be at. And since day one, if you read in chapter one, If you read in chapter 1, it says that the king ordered that these young men would be taught the customs of Babylon, the literature of Babylon, the language of Babylon, and the king assigned to them not only this learning, not only this education, but he assigned to them food and drink. And since day one, when Daniel arrived to Babylon, Him and his friends, they decided, the Bible says, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food or the wine. Now, I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, I'll learn the language. Yeah, I will take the literature in. But why was it that in the food there was a line to be drawn? Most of us, somebody offers us a steak and we're like, okay, where do I go get it? 
And Daniel says, no, I have to draw the line here. There's no way I can defile myself. Now, in, the, in those times, uh, the people of Israel, they had a law that was given to them from God. And one of the things they had was they had a lot of dietary laws. It might have been those dietary laws that Daniel was worried about if he was to take in the king's food. The king's food had been sacrificed to other gods. The king's food had been dedicated to other gods. And possibly Daniel was worried about this. He said, no, I can't eat this food. Or maybe, maybe Daniel had read the Bible and read in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 1 where it says, when you sit to dine with the ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat. Wow. If you're given to gluttony, do not crave his delicacies. For that food is deceptive. And Daniel said, you know what? It's better that I don't have a taste of Babylon. Because if I begin to develop a taste for that that is not for me, if I begin to develop a taste for those things that are going to affect my life, maybe it's better that I just abstain from it. Because next time it's going to be harder for me to say no. Next time it's going to be harder for me to walk away. Next time it's going to be harder for me to serve my God. It was food and wine or food and drink. What's the big deal? There was a conviction within Daniel's soul, within Daniel's heart, that he was going to refuse the food of the king. Because if he took the food and the drink of the king, the next thing was going to be a small bending of the truth. The next thing, the next thing that would happen is I wouldn't tell the whole truth. The next thing is that they have plenty and I don't have that much. The next thing was going to be, well, nobody knows if I look. Nobody knows if I take it. Nobody, you know what? He's just a friend. You know, she's just a friend. It's innocent. Daniel knew that as soon as he allowed the world, in this case Babylon, to invade his inner self, it would be difficult to step away from those other things that were going to be offered to him. You got to be careful, my friend, when you and I begin to bend in our integrity to the left or to the right. We compromise in order to be accepted by others. We compromise in order that we may gain personal benefits in our lives. We have to be careful. What exactly are we giving up? Jesus told uh, the disciples that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? So it went much greater than just food and drink. It was a question of his soul. It was a question of his integrity and, and his convictions. He had a conviction within himself that he was dedicated to God no matter what came before him. No matter if he was facing a den of lions, he would stand for his God. Your integrity is built upon your convictions. Church, your integrity is built on your values, is built on what you know to be true in your life. But see, my conviction, the second thing I need you to understand is that my conviction requires my commitment. Because we all say we believe. 
Even those that are far from God can stand here and say, I believe there is a God. But in order for us to have a deep conviction, the time will come when our conviction is tested by something and we find out quickly how committed we are to it. It's not enough to say we believe. We must also act upon the belief. Daniel was facing a den alliance. In verse 10, he, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks. In verse 8 of, ch of chapter 1, he says that he resolved within himself to not be defiled. And I wonder how many times can you and I truly say that we have resolved within our hearts, within our minds, to truly serve God in a manner that our integrity is not questioned because we're not bending to the left, we're not bending to the right. We are standing firm in our convictions and in our beliefs. And when our convictions are challenged by the world, we stand and we let our light shine and we're like those chocolate chips that they can taste right away. This guy is different. This this guy stands for something. This guy is resolute. This guy will not bend. Conviction requires commitment. Daniel knew the God he served, and he was there was absolutely no way that he was going to pray to King Darius. Daniel's king was God. Church, in a sense, we as a church, we as people trying to grow closer to God, we are facing a den of lions. And in these areas, whatever area you may think of right now, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's uh, 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 in your family, whatever it may be, the world wants us to conform, but God wants us to transform. And that's why Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of how God is great, in view of how God has poured out grace to you, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah, that steak looks good. That drink looks like it tastes good. But I'm going to be a living sacrifice to my God. I will not be accepted by my coworkers. I will be made fun of by other people because I want to be a servant of God offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship this is what we do here brother Nathan singing the, I love the king and the king loves me these young ladies singing that there is freedom in the house of the Lord. This is worship, but that is not all that worship involves. Worship involves that when we walk out these doors, we continue to sing those songs in our heart. And if someone speaks to us, if someone tells us something, if someone challenges our beliefs, worship means that we'll stand firm in our conviction. I'm quickly running out of time. In verse 20, actually in verse 12, I'm going to kind of quickly read through this and we'll pick it up all together in verse, in, in verse 21. They found him praying just as he had done before. 
They found Daniel asking in verse 12. So the, they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish? Like they've forgotten, right? Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? Then the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, prays, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And in verse 14, when the king hears this, he was greatly distressed. He realized he had been tricked. He realized what had happened. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, No, I remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree no edict, or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May God, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings. And then verse 18, then the king returned to his palace. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep that night. And in verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And I think we have this one up here, verse 20. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you, rescue you from the lions? Verse 21. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. See, those who accused him in verse 24, if we keep reading, those that were accused, the, the king was glad and absolutely uh, uh, amazed to know that, that Daniel survived the night in the lion's den. And he says that immediately he pulled Daniel out. They got Daniel out and that immediately he brought those administrators, those satraps, all the people that had agreed to this decree and threw them into the lion's den. And they were immediately crushed. And see what Daniel's integrity caused. We find in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree, a new decree. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Daniel's integrity caused a king to see God. Caused a nation to know God. His integrity, his, his decision, his resolution not to go along with any waves that the world brought. But he stood firm and said, I will serve my God. I will not defile myself. I will continue to pray. So now the question becomes, church, and I'm going to go through these quickly. How do we maintain our integrity? This is great, pastor. Sounds good. But how do I do this in my life? 
How, how, how do I make sure that I'm living a life of integrity? How do I make sure that in everything that I do, uh, I, can be, uh, I can be sure and confident that I'm standing firm in God? The first thing you and I need to do, and those of us that are here that haven't given our lives to God, the first thing we must do is we have to trust God. Just as Daniel trusted God even in the face of the lion's den, facing death, he said, I will serve God. My trust, my dependence is only on God. He, we need to trust God that he, will, he is able to do more and exceedingly above that which we could ask. This includes seeking him through prayer. This includes when we pick up our offerings and our tithes and we say, you know, Lord, I, I, I could use this. I could probably pay a bill with this, but I trust that you are my provider and I give this to you. And whether it's loving one another because sometimes some people are difficult to love. Whether it's a family member, whether it's somebody at work, whoever it may be, we trust God by loving one another. The second thing we need to understand is that we, if we're going to maintain our integrity, we've got to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Why do we have trouble with this sometimes? Someone invites us to a party. Maybe, maybe I can go. Just say no. I can't make it. Don't compromise your integrity. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be truthful in what you can do and what you can't do. Be honest to, you about, to yourself about, be honest with yourself about the things that are at your reach and are not at your reach. People of integrity keep their word. Start at home. We heard Bishop last week. He said that his son told him, Dad, you're not a promise keeper. You're a promise breaker. How difficult it is in our lives when we look at our kids and we know we make promises to them and we don't keep them. But God's people, those of us seeking God, we need to work. We need to learn how to keep our word. Proverbs 25, 14 says that a person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. You guys have seen when it gets dark and there's a lot of clouds and just there's no rain. It's overcast. The Bible says that when we don't keep our promises, we bring a cloud to people. We're not fun to be around. For the most part, we want to see the sun shining. We want to see a light. I'll let you handle that, okay? Just, just keep chewing on that. Let your yes be yes. And you know, be known. The third thing, we, we got to be the same person in front of the crowd as you are when you're by yourself. See, integrity means that when you're here at church, when you're around your family, you are the exact same person as when you're alone at home in front of that computer with that phone. You're the same person. You can't be one person in one place and a different person in another place. We maintain our integrity by being the same person. Whether you realize it or not, people are watching. Your friends are watching. 
Your kids are watching. Your spouse is watching. They're observing whether or not your words align with your actions. So what message are you sending? What message are you conveying? Game-changing integrity is being true. When no one sees you and when everyone sees you. Being faithful to God in your private life is more important than public perception. Praise the Lord, everybody. Being faithful to God is more important in your private life than what other people think about you. He cannot bless you with big things unless you've proven to be faithful in small things. Jesus said, Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I told you it was going to be challenging, right? In the small things. In the small things. If you, if you struggle with technology, maybe you need to get a flip phone. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what people may think. we got to be honest with ourselves. Man, I can't handle this. I can't handle Facebook. I can't handle social media. I'm seeing things I shouldn't see. I'm reading things I shouldn't read. Uh, I, I, I'm having conversations I shouldn't be having. Apparently it's a little thing. And the small things, be faithful. The last thing, do, we all like this one, do your best at work. You may hate your job, but don't tell anybody you hate your job. That's what God's giving you to provide. How are you eating at night? How are you going and dropping $70 at Olive Garden every weekend if it wasn't for that job you dislike? Do your best at work. When we come to know God, our true boss, our, th- our true supervisor is God. Whether or not anybody else sees what you're doing, God sees it. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Maybe you like your job, but you don't like your supervisor very much. Pray. Pray for that supervisor. You got to trust God by loving those, even those that are difficult to love. I feel like I'm like hitting some tension. The workplace... We, we spend more time at work than we do with our family. Do the best work. 
Because you are a child of God. You're asking, we just read in, 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 the, in the third one, right? Be faithful uh, in the small things so God can put you in the big things. We, we kneel on our knees and we're asking God, God, give me a promotion. God, give me a better job. Lord, give me a raise. Give me something different. Lord, I can't stand this anymore. And all that is coming out of your mouth is complaints and complaints for what God has provided. And you're not even faithful to that. Be faithful. Do your best. I'm going to ask you to stand. Our integrity will lead us to be game changers in this world. Just like that semi-pro baseball player that pitched against a bunch of 14-year-olds was a game changer. When you and I stand Firm in our integrity, we let our light shine to this world. We give a distinct taste in our places of employment. We become game changers. But we must remain committed to our convictions.